The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 6 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week we're going to be talking about Avengers number 5, The Invasion of the Lava Men. This issue was released in May of 1964, written by Stan Lee, pencils by Jack Kirby, inks by Paul Reinman, and letters by Sam Rosen. So let's go ahead and jump right into the issue here. Starting off, we've got actually a really nice kind of action cover. My only complaint is that the Avengers on the cover are not particularly well drawn. There's not a lot of detail. They're very kind of sketched out, kind of off model, which is a shame because the rest of the cover is actually really nice. It's got some action going on. Unlike modern comic covers, you actually get a representation of what's on the inside of the issue. So it's a nice cover. Unfortunately, it looks like it was drawn kind of quickly. Now, the opening splash page, however, is absolutely phenomenal. It opens up very cinematically with the team walking towards the reader, much in the same way you'd see in a movie like The Right Stuff or Reservoir Dogs, Monsters, Inc. This is a scene that is used a lot in film. It helps give the team that heroic look and feel. We will also notice that, like I mentioned last episode, this issue ties in really nicely to Fantastic Four number 26 in that the episode picks up inside the damaged Avengers Mansion. Those of you who were with us last episode will know that Avengers Mansion was damaged in a fight with the Hulk, and we actually see that damage and the Avengers kind of talk about it. Unfortunately for Tony Stark, all the rest of the Avengers decide to go their separate ways and take care of personal business, and poor Tony is left to deal with the wreckage of his house. Since the Avengers have been meeting at Tony Stark's mansion since issue two, I think it's time we talk a little bit about Avengers Mansion, or at least what will become Avengers Mansion. So Avengers Mansion is stated to be located on 895th Avenue. However, in real life, Avengers Mansion is actually based on the Henry Clay Frick House in Manhattan, which is on 1 East 70th Street. This house in particular is well known because it houses what is referred to as the Frick Collection, which is it's an art museum. The lower level of the mansion is an art museum open to the public, and it houses the art collection that was Henry Clay Frick's personal art collection, and when he died, he donated it to the public to be run as a museum. So Stan Lee in particular points out that the design for Avengers Mansion was taken from the Frick because he would regularly walk past the Frick on his way to and from Marvel. The Avengers will continue to use the mansion from issue 2 almost to the current era, with a few exceptions over the years. Like I mentioned before, most of the Avengers go off and do personal things for a few days. Tony Stark is at home, in this case the upper floors of the Avengers Mansion. Ant-Man and Wasp are doing some research. Thor is in his Donald Blake persona and is in his office. And Captain America is showing Rick Jones and the Teen Brigade some acrobatics and he's getting ready to train them in some judo and karate. However, as the Avengers are going about their business, each of them in various ways experiences this extremely powerful, damaging sound wave that has nearly explosive results. A test computer that is being built for Iron Man is destroyed. The anthill that Ant-Man and Wasp are in is also destroyed. Donald Blake reads about it, and when he arrives to talk to Captain America about it, they're both directly affected by it. 
So the Avengers realize that this is a problem and that they need to go ahead and look into it. Of course, being that they are the Avengers and that they are looking into this, it leads them to the Southwest. And I, I really want to know, like, why we keep going back to the Southwest. The United States is a big country and there's the entire rest of the world. And we have gone to the Southwest. So in the Avengers, we've done it in four out of five issues, plus one of the Fantastic Four issues that we covered. So out of seven issues we are now covering, we have gone to the Southwest in five of them. You know, I don't know. Maybe because there's a lot of open space out there and you can have superhero fights without any real consequences. Maybe Stan and Jack were just obsessed with the Southwest. I don't know. I just noticed we're doing it a lot. Of course, after the Avengers realize where the sounds are coming from, we then immediately cut to the Southwest, where we see General Thunderbolt Ross and his missile base and a large, in the digital version, it's a green rock. In my omnibus, it's actually a, a gray rock but a large rock pushing its way up into the middle of his base. And it appears that this rock is what is emanating these destructive sound waves. And of course, Thunderbolt Ross wants this taken care of because it's interfering with his base. And you know we can't have Thunderbolt Ross without having the Hulk. So while Ross is giving orders, who should walk up behind him but his daughter Betty, and of course Bruce Banner wearing what looks like some kind of jumpsuit, Ross, of course, dislikes Banner pretty much just entirely and immediately begins to berate him in front of everyone. But of course, Banner's a scientist and there's a mystery at hand. So Ross puts aside his berating for a moment and asks Banner to help figure out what's going on with this rock. Now, after this, we get a great panel of Banner starting to think and behind him is this almost ghostly figure of the Hulk, giving the reader the impression that the Hulk is always just beneath the surface, looming behind Banner, ready to come out and take over. You know, readers know Banner's not in control, but when you just see an individual standing there, it's sometimes easy to forget that they aren't in control of themselves. So this gives us a great visual to remind us that at any point, Banner could become the Hulk. And especially in this particular situation, that would be a disastrous thing to happen. Now, immediately after this, we get a mini Hulk origin story, and I don't think we really need it. The Hulk's origin is still fresh enough in everyone's mind that it's not really a thing that needs to be brought back up. What it does give us, though, is a, is a nice insight into Banner's mindset. Again, because we tend to focus on Hulk and what Hulk's thinking and what Hulk's doing, we don't spend nearly as much time focusing on what Banner's thinking and what Banner's doing. And this gives us four panels worth of insight into five, excuse me, five panels uh, worth of insight into what's going on in his head. This horrible, terrible thing keeps happening to him. What is he doing about it? Like, how is this affecting him as a person? That's a huge question that really needs to be addressed. And I think this is at least a start. Obviously, this is something that writers and artists will struggle with and delve into so much deeper in the years to come. But even just starting out, we, we need to look at that kind of thing. Now, Banner being the super scientist that he is, figures out pretty quickly that it looks like the rock's being pushed up. There's another driving force behind this here. And it turns out he's right. It is, in fact, our antagonists, the Lava Men. Right? You can't have an invasion of the Lava Men without any Lava Men. It doesn't work. You don't have an invasion and you don't have Lava Men. You have nothing. So the first time we see the Lava Men, we actually see them in Journey into Mystery 97. And when I say them, we actually just see one who we will see throughout this issue and is actually Nate Molto. That seems like a fitting name for a man made out of lava. 
In Journey into Mystery 97, Molto had been accidentally released from a volcano by Loki, and from that point on, Molto went around and ended up fighting Thor. And Thor basically flung him back into a volcano. Now, it's interesting because in this book, Molto talks about the fact that the surface people aren't evil, they're not here to, to destroy us. Molto got his ass pretty well handed to him by Thor and then flung back into a volcano. At least from the perspective of Journey into Mystery 97, I don't understand how Molto comes out of that with such a positive feeling towards surface dwellers. Yes, they sent him back home, but at no point in the issue did he express a desire to go home, nor did Thor send him home particularly nicely, nor did Thor actually realize that's what he was doing. He just threw him into a volcano because there's lava at a volcano, and this dude's made out of lava. So, needless to say, because of Molto's views on surface dwellers, he's not thought very highly of by the king or by the king's advisor, the witch doctor. And the character designs on these guys are great. Because basically the witch doctor's mask and the king's crown look like they're physically parts of their body. So I want to know, like, when the witch doctor dies and there's a new witch doctor, do they just, like, morph into having this mask? Do they put it on and it fuses into them? Is it just the mask? I mean, I, I kind of want to think that when they take the mantle, they actually, like, physically transform and mutate and into the role. I think that'd be really cool, but... But like I said, Molto's views aren't very popular, and so the king and the witch doctor ignore his pleas and continue their assault on the surface dwellers with this giant rock we have yet to identify. So I know we've talked about this kind of at length, but again we get an example of the Avengers not really having a leader. At one point here, Iron Man decides that he's going to go investigate. And Cap actually says, you heard the man, Rick. We don't question each other's commands. Iron Man must have his reasons. And I get what Cap is trying to, to go for there. There must be some kind of reasoning behind what Iron Man is saying. But again, it just points to the idea that the Avengers, although they're aiming for this democratic ideal, they're really just leaderless at this point. Now, again, having just said that, it turns out there is kind of a good reason Iron Man's going to do this, in that they fear that the rock is radioactive and that Iron Man's suit will protect him. So Iron Man begins to investigate. His repulsors have absolutely no effect on the rock. So Iron Man decides it's a better idea to start digging down. If the rock is coming up from below, it's a reasonable assumption that the source is down below. So Iron Man goes to investigate. And of course, this causes the lava men to think they're under attack. And immediately they start to swarm at Iron Man. Now, this is a particularly kind of unpleasant thought. You've got a bunch of guys who are literally made of lava attacking a guy in a metal suit. The lava men do exactly what I would do in their situation. They basically run up and just hug Iron Man and start to heat him up. There are a lot of ways I don't want to go. Being cooked alive in a metal suit would have to be pretty high on that list, though. And unfortunately, this is one of those times, although Iron Man couldn't know what was waiting for him on the other side of the rock, a little bit of extra teamwork instead of an individual taking action on their own would probably have saved him some hassle here. Obviously, Iron Man comes out of this alive. We get another one of those great moments where Thor uses his hammer to smash something that is surrounding Iron Man. I'm starting to feel a little bad for Iron Man because every time Thor decides to quote-unquote help, it usually involves smashing something that is surrounding Iron Man, and he doesn't necessarily come out better for the wear. Everyone's got that friend who they try really hard to help, and they kind of do. They, they alleviate the immediate situation, but you're not sure that the resulting situation is all that much better. That's kind of what's happening with Thor here. 
of course, Thor is also the only person who's ever seen these creatures before. And when they realize who Thor is, they turn the ground under his feet into lava and he begins to sink down. And we get a couple of my favorite, and actually my favorite panel of the issue, where Thor is up to his neck in lava with this just scowl on his face, trying to convince the lava men not to fear him. Here's a guy who's still alive up to his neck in lava and he doesn't want you to fear him. In this particular instance, the first thing I'm going to do is start being really fearful, even if I'm a lava man. He shouldn't be able to survive this, and he's just sitting here going, no, no, don't fear me. Nothing good will come of that conversation. Just run, which is actually exactly what the lava men do, to their credit. Thor also basically pulls a take-me-to-your-leader moment. I I mean, really, he says almost exactly that. Who is the ruler of the lava men? Take me to him! Obviously, since the Lava Men ran away, they didn't take him to their leader. He does, however, manage to find his way there. And the King and the Witch Doctor basically explain to Thor what they're doing and what this rock is. It's called the Living Rock. So as the result of some massive underground blast, they found this little different rock. And when they went to go hit it, it went off like a nuclear bomb. So they realized that if the rock continued to grow and continue to emit these sounds, eventually it would become so powerful it would actually destroy the planet Earth and kill both the people on the surface and the lava men underground. Obviously the lava men don't want to die, so they decide to push it above ground and let the surface dwellers blow themselves up trying to deal with this thing, and then the lava men can move on the surface. Now, this is kind of an interesting concept, the living rock, and where it came from. I don't know for a fact about this one, but I suspect this has something to do with nuclear weapons testing. And and that's just kind of coded in some of the wording that's used to describe how they found the rock. Specifically, they refer to it as caused by some kind of atomic upheaval from deep within the core of the Earth. Again, this book was written in May of 1964. The Limited Nuclear Test Ban Treaty was signed in 1963, and that particular treaty banned all above-ground, underwater, and atmospheric tests. However, it didn't ban underground testing of nuclear weapons. That actually didn't happen until the 1990s under Bill Clinton. So I feel like the fact that it's talking about a nuclear underground atomic upheaval, I think it's specifically referring to a nuclear test that would have had to occur after this treaty was signed. And just kind of knowing some of the history behind Marvel Comics and the characters and how they were developed, you know, the atomic age plays so heavily into Marvel Comics, I've got a hard time believing it's anything else but a commentary on underground nuclear testing and the dangers of nuclear testing in general. I realize that was a little deep, but I think it's relevant. Getting back to the issue, after the king and the witch doctor have explained to Thor their masterful evil plan, they then sick all of the lava men on the Avengers and the surface dwellers who've come. It's less of an invasion of the lava men now that I think about it, and more the Avengers invading the lava men. We spend most of our time underground, and all of our fights really are underground, so the Avengers seem to be the ones doing the invading. So the first person that our lava men come across is Captain America, who's kind of guarding the way out. Cap makes a pretty good show of it, but the lava men trap him in solidified cinders, which appear to be exceptionally difficult to break apart and and free Cap. Now, while all of this is going on, we have Ant-Man and Wasp up in their small forms examining the living rock, and they, of course, find its weakness. There is a single small spot that is not pulsating. And if Thor hits it with his hammer hard enough, it'll cause the rock to destroy itself instead of blow up. 
I don't know how they determined this, but we'll go ahead and run with it. Ant-Man and Wasp run off to tell the rest of the Avengers what they have discovered, and they find everyone but Thor holding back a small army of lava men, at which point Giant Man decides to use the Avengers helicopter as a giant fan to blow the lava men back down the cave, which is a really kind of questionable decision for multiple reasons. How does he know they're going to fall down back down the cave? What kind of damage is he doing to the helicopter? Just all kinds of side problems. And speaking of damage, Cap is still stuck in cinders. So Iron Man takes a play from Thor's book and uses his repulsors on Max to blast Cap out of the cinders. I don't know if there's any Aqua Teen Hunger Force fans out there, but this really reminds me of the episode where Meatwad gets a bunny rabbit, except it's not a bunny rabbit, it's a snake. And Master Shake convinces him to make it into a bunny rabbit, so he staples pipe cleaners to the snake as bunny ears. And Meatwad's got a great line. He looks at the snake and says, Now this is only going to hurt for a second, but damn is it going to hurt. That's effectively what Iron Man just told Cap. Look, this will work. You're not going to enjoy yourself, though. But of course, Cap is finally freed, and the Avengers start making their way towards Thor in order to defeat the Living Rock. And this is the point at which the Hulk shows up. Because, because, really, that's all I have. So Hulk's inclusion in this book in general, once again, I feel is thoroughly unnecessary. Hulk will actually serve a purpose. So is Hulk necessary for the story? No. Is Hulk pointless in the story? Also no. But I feel like the story would have been better served by not bringing the Hulk back in. And you know, I mentioned this, I think, in the last three episodes. At this point, Hulk has quit the team. So we need to stop having Hulk in the book. If Hulk's not part of the Avengers, then Hulk doesn't need to be in the Avengers. And again, I realize at this point, Hulk's own book has been canceled. This book, and anytime he guest stars in another book, is really the only time Hulk is getting any kind of airtime, for lack of a better term. But it makes it difficult to move the plot forward, move the team forward, move the characters forward, if they're constantly looking back going, Oh, hey, here's Hulk again. Oh, man, we gotta deal with Hulk again. It gets very repetitive, and it's kind of distracting to further character development. Especially knowing now what we know and the fact that this team is actually going to break up in 11, 12 issues. The first issue with the new team is issue 17. Issue 16 is the transition between them. So realistically, we really only have 15 issues total before we start moving to the new team. So 10 issues from here. That's not a lot of time for this team to gel. The other problem is that in this particular moment, it derails the story slightly. You know, the team is trying to deal with the Living Rock. They go to get Thor, and then suddenly they go, oh crap, the Hulk, and they go deal with him. This does then allow the Witch Doctor to take a swing at Thor with his Radiation Rod. Another one of those great weapons that I want nothing to do with. Again, having some background in nuclear power and, and with radiation. You tell me you've got a Radiation Rod, I don't want anything to do with it. And apparently neither does Thor, because... Whatever this rod does turns Thor back into Donald Blake, and Donald Blake just kind of collapses. Thor will effectively not play any further part in this story. He's in it a little bit more, but Donald Blake, he's got to catch his breath or something. I don't know. I still can't figure out why he doesn't just immediately tap his staff on the floor again and turn right back into Thor. Maybe it doesn't work that way. Maybe he's just too tired. I don't know, but to me, that would seem like the logical answer. So, because Thor's now out of the picture, the Avengers have a problem. And that is, Thor's hammer was going to be their means of destroying the Living Rock. Now, they don't have Thor's hammer. And they've got a Hulk. 
If you're thinking what I'm thinking, you're thinking the right thing. So Captain America has a brilliant idea where instead of using Thor's hammer, we're going to use the Hulk. So this is also a, an interesting character moment. Ant-Man starts yelling, stay back, Wasp and I have a plan. And then Wasp immediately counters with, it was Captain America's idea. So Giant Man is sitting here stealing Cap's ideas and then claiming them as his own in front of a group of like four people, three of which know he's lying. Absolutely know he's lying because Cap had the idea. So Cap knows he's lying. Wasp called him out, so obviously she knows, and Giant Man obviously knows where he got the idea. And Iron Man's not that far away, so I feel like the whole group knows that Giant Man is full of it. But admittedly, the idea is sound. So once again, Giant Man will do his Giant Man, Ant-Man shrinking, growing routine and confuse the Hulk. Cap will spin his shield, further confusing the Hulk. They'll kind of taunt him on, and eventually Wasp will actually fly down near the Living Rock, right above the the magic spot and hulk will be so infuriated that he smashes his fist down and defeats the living rock and it works the living rock is destroyed everyone survives donald blake turns back into thor the lava men go home general ross takes away his ring of missiles that's actually something i forgot to mention in the whole process of this general ross has ringed the living rock with missiles because that's his answer to it, is just shoot missiles at it. Not even artillery, actual, like, intercontinental ballistic missiles. I mean, it's comic books. It's a really funny mental image. So wrapping up our issue, Thor rejoins the Avengers, the Hulk has turned back into Bruce Banner and is discovered by Betty Ross, and the team gets an emergency message from the Teen Brigade, telling them there's a condition red emergency, and we'll deal with the next issue. It's our first real cliffhanger. Let me, let me phrase that a little differently. It's our first real cliffhanger in Avengers. We got a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of Fantastic Four 25 going into 26. But this is our first cliffhanger in Avengers proper. Before we wrap up here, one final thing I wanted to talk about is in the last couple of panels of the issue, Giant Man actually pays Wasp a legitimate compliment. I'm proud of you, Wasp. Your timing was perfect just when it counted the most. And she immediately turns that and makes a comment about her looks. Oh, God, you're killing me. I bag on Hank Pym for making stupid comments about your looks and about you being a woman. He pays you an actual compliment and then you turn it around on that. Ah, just, it hurts. It does. So overall, the art on this book is pretty good. Again, I have problems with some of the small figures. They lack clean detail. It's not anywhere near as bad as something like issue number one, but it's not, I don't think, as good as we've seen it. Though in general, I have to say, the overall quality of the book is improving. Compared to Avengers number four, there aren't anywhere near as many standout panels, but the quality page to page is far more consistent. As far as the story goes, it's enjoyable. It's a fun adventure story. It takes a while to get all the pieces moving, but once you do, it does keep rolling. Yeah, you know, the action doesn't tend to let up much once you get into it. The only real break we get is the exposition explaining the origin of the Living Rock. So remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Do you want to be a part of the conversation? Send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com, and maybe you'll get featured on a future episode. Next week, the Mighty Avengers meet the Masters of Evil in Avengers number six. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just...
Take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs> 